Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bones. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. This is a huge deal for me, um, but I read a lot of books, like an insane amount of books. <clears throat> and um, a couple years ago, I was reading books on um, scripture uh, and LGBTQ people of faith, and I'd probably read close to 100 books, every one I could find in English on this topic. And then my friend Rahadi was like, yeah, but have you read Karen Keene's little book called Scripture Ethics and the Possibility of Same-Sex Relationships? I was like, no, I've never even heard of it. And I grabbed it, and Rahadi was right. He said, it's my favorite. And I blew my mind. So I've, we have a few copies in our church library. I've, I've given these out to lots of people. But um, now the author, um, Karen, is joining us. And I know that um, Karen's written lots of books and teaches on lots of different things. So let me actually officially uh, welcome her and, and tell you a bit about her. Uh, okay. <clears throat> she is a biblical scholar. And she, uh, Karen Keene, is a spiritual care provider at the Redwood Center for Spiritual Care and Education. She's taught biblical and theological studies in both academic and church settings, trained as a spiritual director in the Ignatian tradition. Karen loves seeing how God moves in people's lives in subtle and unexpected ways in daily life. She's written several books, uh, including The Jesus Way, Practicing the Ignatian Spiritual Exercises, Scripture Ethics, and this book, Possibility of Same-Sex Relationships, um, and a forthcoming book coming out this year called The Word of a Humble God, The Origins, Inspiration, and Interpretation of Scripture. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, Karen earned her MS in education. I should know what that means, MS. Masters of Science? Spirituality. Science? Spirituality? All right. She's probably on the chat. I'm sorry, Karen. This is a long-winded intro. All right. I'm just, I'm still just, oh, okay, here we go. Well, I'm almost at the very end of it. Bear with me. I want to know what MS stood for. Okay, in education counseling from Western Oregon University, uh, she has an MA in exegetical theology from Western Seminary, uh, and a THM, a Master's of Theology. Kind. Okay, in biblical studies from Duke Divinity School. So there's a lot of uh, reasons why um, Karen is exactly um, the right person to teach us and open the word for us today in this topic. So I'm going to hand um, the mic over to you, Karen. Um, if we can't hear you, don't worry, we'll tell you right away. So you just um, can begin and you can um, share your PowerPoint if you have one. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, can you hear me all right? Yes, good. Okay, great. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to connect with you tonight and um, share some things. I've been thinking about this and praying through this this past week. And anytime I prepare for something like this, I always hear the spirit telling me something. So I'm, I'm excited about um, some of the things that I've been learning this week. And I hope that it will encourage your heart too. So the... Um, the message for today is the body of Christ, it's a church. And I don't know about you, but um, with the pandemic, I think a lot of people are wondering, what is church? And, and how do we even do church um, when it's changed so much? Um, uh, some people not being able to meet or meet as much 
or doing hybrid stuff? How does this work to do church? But even before the pandemic, sometimes I would have thoughts of, what are we doing? You know, what is it that we're doing exactly? And I think um, a lot of Christians at some point or another in their Christian life can experience um, some kind of disillusionment with the church. But when I turn to scripture, I'm, a, I'm reminded of the amazing beauty of the body of Christ. Now, the phrase body of Christ is often used synonymously with the word group or assembly. We think of it as a group of Christians gathering together. But we want to pay close attention to this metaphor. It's an, it's an image. Uh, we have in this phrase the body of Christ, this picture of a human body, arms, legs, elbows, eyes, toes. So to understand the body of Christ is to understand something of the human body. And that story begins at creation, when God shapes the human being out of the dust of the earth and breathes life into it. At creation, many different bodies were created, uh, animal bodies, fish bodies, insect bodies, plant bodies, even plants have bodies. Uh, but there's something unique about the human body. The human body was created for a particular purpose. It was made in the image of God. And Genesis 126 uh, reads this way. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And that, that conjunction there, uh, let us make humankind in our image, so that uh, is not always there in the English translation so clearly, but it is a, a result um, kind of conjunction there. We were made in, human, uh, in the image of God so that we may rule uh, over uh, the creatures of the earth. So it's the capacity to govern, but it's not, the Hebrew here uh, for ruling over is not a domineering uh, type of governance or exploitative uh, governance. It is stewardship. It got, being made in the image of God is being given the capacity to look after and care for the earth and all of all of its creatures. Now um, we are also similar to the creatures and the rest of the earth. Um, we're different from them in our ability to govern, but we're similar in that we have sex bodies. So God created humankind, male and female, to allow for life on the earth uh, to propagate, to continue. <clears throat> And sexual differentiation is what we have in common with the animals, but the capacity to govern is what we have in common with God. And this is an important distinction to make because in the last century, a new theology had developed 
that says that we reflect the image of God through sexual differentiation. We reflect the image of God by being male and female. And the argument goes that Genesis 1 and 2 only mention male and female. And so this binary is all there is. Intersex people, for example, are considered part of the fall and not part of God's creation. But there are a variety of problems with this uh, interpretation, not least of all, that the image of God is something unique to human beings. And animals um, are not made in the image of God, but they do have sexual differentiation. Animals were made male and female as well. And the same language in Genesis 1, uh, that God blessed them to be fruitful and multiply, is specifically stated in Genesis 1.22 in reference to the animal, not just uh, the, the man and the woman. So sexual differentiation is not how we uh, reflect the image of God. Um, John Calvin, the reformer, made a helpful point about interpretation of Genesis 1. He said, Genesis 1 does not give us all the facts of science. Calvin recognized that the science of his day was more advanced than what is described in Genesis 1. And he said that the reason Genesis does not include advanced science is because the ancient Israelites would not have been able to comprehend it at that time. Um, and so God accommodated them to where they were at. And Calvin specifically said Genesis 1 is really only describing what is seen by the naked eye. The Israelites didn't have telescopes, for example, to uh, be able to understand some of the things about astronomy that they did even in John Calvin's time. So divine revelation was accommodated to be intelligible. And we can apply Calvin's perspective of Genesis 1 with reference to male and female. This binary that is described in Genesis here is not meant to be a comprehensive scientific description of sexual development. The ancient Israelites did not know about neurobiology, chromosomes, or internal intersex characteristics that are not visible to the naked eye. That kind of information would not have been comprehensible to them in their context. So throughout Christian tradition, and until recently, sex difference was not associated with the image of God. In fact, it was considered bad theology to uh, attribute physicality to God who is spirit. Instead, the Christian tradition understood sex difference as what we have in common with animals and for the purpose of procreation. To go back to my original point though, human beings are distinct from animal bodies because we are made in the image of God. And to be made in the image of God is to have the capacity to look after and to care for the rest of creation, to be a good steward of the earth. In other words, the meaning of church as a body first begins with understanding why human bodies were created in the first place. I want to I want to pull up a slide here. Uh, I'm going to pull up some slides. We have several scripture verses that I want to go through. Um, it'll be helpful if we look at them together. So, uh, how is the church like the human body? 
God created human being to steward the earth, to look after and care for this creative world. But uh, we are also to understand um, the created purpose of human bodies by what we learn in the New Testament, and that is Jesus' body. Jesus' body makes us one with God, conforming us to the image of Christ. Um, so the, we zoom in, we, we zoom in on one human body, that is Jesus's body. The church has something to do with this imagery of Jesus's arms, legs, hand, head, hands, and feet. And so even though all of human beings are made in the image of God, we see that in the New Testament that this concept becomes more specific. We were predestined to be conformed. So we're, we're zooming in on one body and we see that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of the son. So Romans 8, 28, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God did not simply create humanity and then just leave us to our own devices. Left to our own devices, human beings are prone to use power for selfish ends. We use our God-given agency to pillage the earth rather than care for it. But Christianity is not deism. Deism is a belief that God created the earth and then just left it to run on its own. In contrast, Christianity teaches that God stays with us. God stays involved, showing us how to use power for good and not evil. And God stays involved because God wants to collaborate with us. God wants us to be in this together. So we are predestined to be conformed to the image of God in Christ, conformed to the way God uses power to rule. God came to us in Jesus to show us how to be human, to show us how we can work together with God to steward the earth. Sometimes scripture refers to this with a marital metaphor, a metaphor of marital intimacy and the idea of cleaving to God. So in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 16 through 17, Paul said, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is united with him in spirit. And the, the word united here is cleave. It's, it's, a, it's a, the same word in the Greek that's being used for the prostitute and being used for God. Um, and similarly, in Ephesians 5, Paul says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. So Paul is using this metaphor of marital intimacy to describe the kind of spiritual oneness we can have with God. Um, in some mysterious and spiritual way, we can become one with Jesus's body. Notice that Paul does not say that sex leads to spiritual union. 
Rather, he's using a metaphor of material union as an analogy to convey the intimate spiritual union we can have with Christ. We can become spiritually one with God through Jesus. Now, of course, when we have sex, we, have, we become flesh of flesh, bone of bone. Sex is meant to bond a couple together as kin, as a new family unit. And that is a beautiful material union. But it is only when we become one with Jesus's body that we have spiritual union with one another. This is why scripture also says that we are crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, and enthroned with Christ. In some sense, our our bodies, our own bodies, have been crucified, buried, and raised up because our, our bodies are one with Jesus's body. And this oneness affects our created purpose of ruling over the earth, of stewarding the earth. So we see in Revelation 3.21, Jesus says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. And this is not just a future reality. We are in some way already reigning collaboratively with Christ. So Ephesians 2.6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And that phrase, seated seated us with him means seated on a throne with him now let's pause here for a minute to just not blow your mind that the god of the universe is willing to share a throne with you and with me god who is all powerful wants to share power what kind of god shares power the humble god and we'll talk more about that in a moment but hold on to that thought because it teaches us how to use power so we have been crucified with christ buried with christ we are raised to life with christ and we reign with christ In some mysterious and spiritual way, our bodies can become one with Jesus's body. So let's summarize what I've said so far here in terms of how is the church like a human body? A human body were created in the image of God for a purpose. And Jesus's body makes us one with God, conforming us to the image of God. Christ so that we can steward the earth like Christ. So what are the practical implications of this? First of all, you and I have the same body, Jesus's body. And so we should treat each other as ourselves. What happens when I become one with Jesus's body and you become one with Jesus and this person over here becomes one with Jesus? 
we all become Jesus's body. You and I have the same body, and it's Christ's body. That is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, but we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And in Galatians 3.28, he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So when we hear the phrase body of Christ, we should not just think of a group of Christians meeting together. The imagery is that of a single human body. We have the same body. It's not that diversity is erased. It's that all that diversity is brought into unity in the one body of Christ. And this has implications for how we, re how we uh, relate to each other. First, it changes power dynamics. Um, in Ephesians 3.20, Paul marvels, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body. But it's not only that the different ethnic groups that were previously outsiders are incorporated into God's Jewish body. It's also that women and slaves are joint heirs. By becoming part of Jesus's body, women and slaves now have the status previously given only to sons. Gentiles, women, and slaves are now to be treated in the same privileged way as elite sons of Israel. The dividing wall that separated people into different classes and hierarchies are done away with. As Galatians 3.26 says, you are all sons. Now, in English translation, a lot of times um, the Greek for sons is translated into children. And that I would see as a correct translation because it gets at what Paul's saying. But there's something important in uh, recognizing and understanding that he's using the word son rather intentionally because he's talking about the status that son had in his context and the fact that uh, those who have been marginalized are now given a status that was previously denied them. Paul is not saying that being Jewish or male or son is superior. And so we need to literally become Jewish or male. Rather, he's talking about status. Within the man-made cultural system, Gentile women and slaves have been given that lower status. So in contrast, Paul says there's a different system in God's economy. And in Romans 9, he writes about this in spiritual terms. He says, not all who are descended biologically from Israel are Israel. It is not the children by physical or biological descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham offspring. 
Do you see what's happening here? Paul is seeing things with spiritual eyes. It's not the earthly lords and masters or biological sons who are actually the heirs or the sons of God. To be a quote unquote son of God is not biological. In other words, the radical thing that Paul is saying is that you don't have to be Jewish or male or of a particular social class to qualify to be an equal heir of God. This, <clears throat> I want to point out that this, this is not an entirely new thing, but a restoration to God's intention at creation that all human beings are made in the image of God. And so all have given, have been given the power to steward the earth. And Jesus, we learn how to use that power as we are conformed to the image of God and Christ, as we become spiritually one with Jesus's body. In other words, all these hierarchies that human beings have set up are being corrected here with Jesus saying, no, that's not what I meant when I created you to steward the earth. This is how you do it. You are all one. Another implication of sharing the same body is it means that we care for each other as our own body. <clears throat> In Ephesians 5, Paul says a husband is to love his wife as himself. Paul said, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. Just as Christ does the church, but we are the members of his body. And saying this, Paul indicates that the husband and wife have the same body, but the husband to care for the wife is the same as caring for his own body. To mistreat his wife is to mistreat himself. Now, here's an important point. The husband and wife are not one body because of sex, but because they have the same body in Christ. Anyone can have sex. Paul said you can be physically united with a prostitute. But the oneness of Christ's body is different. It's a spiritual oneness that leads us to care for others as though we have the same body, because in Christ we do. And it's not just husbands who are to care for their wife's body as their own. It's us. We should feed and care for each other as ourselves as if we have the same body, because we do in Christ. <clears throat> Sharing the same body means we share power. We are meant to steward this world together. All Christians sit on the same throne together with each other, with Christ on Christ's throne, Gentiles, women, slaves, Jews, men. And just a little word about slaves. In antiquity, uh, slaves were considered to be inherently, uh, by some condition within themselves, created to be slaves. It was sort of seen as a natural characteristic, which, thank goodness, we don't think that anymore, that people should be inherently subjugated. Um, but uh, so when Paul refers to slaves as 
being shunned now, that was a, that was a radical thing. So we sit on the same throne. Ephesians 2.6 that we said we have been seated with Christ. And so hierarchies based on race, ethnicity, gender, social class are completely nonsensical. There's only one throne of Christ. Men are not on the throne while women are sitting off to the side. There's only one throne and we've all been seated together on that throne in this one body. So just as we are meant to collaborate with God and caring for this world, you and I are also meant to steward the earth together in unity. So again, practical implications of human bodies and Jesus's bodies. Uh, we share the same body. We care for each other as our own body. We share power together. And the second point I want to make here is <clears throat> we are empowered with spiritual gifts to build up the body and bless the world. A spiritual gifts are given to us so that we can help each other out. So 1 Corinthians, 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 4 says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit uh, distributes them. So now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good. And in Ephesians, we see a similar uh, statement there. From Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It builds itself up in love. In love. And if you continue reading in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about how spiritual gifts are for strengthening, encouraging, and comforting each other. And don't we need this right now in these times? Don't we need strength and encouragement and comfort? Church is where that is meant to happen. And it's, it's a mutuality. It's not just that I go to church and I sit there. Church is where I share my spiritual gift to build up and care for others. And uh, the spirit empowers us to do that. In my particular church tradition, we didn't really know what to do with this idea of spiritual gifts. We, we said we believed in the Holy Spirit, but in practice, we didn't. We basically said that whatever natural talent we have is the same thing under spiritual gifts. But a natural talent is not the same thing as a spiritual gift. Paul says that you can pray and ask God for a spiritual gift. And the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to us, not just pastors or church staff, but to each part of the body, everyone who becomes a believer some of the spiritual gifts that Paul mentioned are service, teaching, hospitality, acts of mercy, prophecy, healing, giving, encouragement, discernment, and many others. Every Christian 
is meant to have a spiritual gift, gift so that we can work together for the common good. Uh, each other up. And teaching is often given pride of place in a rather lopsided way, but that's only one spiritual gift. Our churches, uh, <clears throat> or I should say, really, the one church, the one body of Christ, would greatly benefit from amplifying the spiritual gift of all the members of the body. What if one Sunday we just came and we vulnerably shared our burdens with each other and prayed for each other and encouraged each other? What if one Sunday we all came together and shared what we felt grateful for and where we had seen God that week and praised God together? Church is when we strengthen, encourage, and comfort each other and work toward the common good. So what is your spiritual gift? I want to encourage you to uh, think through that and pray through that. Ask God to give you eyes to see what it is, and maybe there's more than one, and to live it out. The Holy Spirit decides who will get what gift. And it's not based on gender or ethnicity or social status. The Spirit empowers whoever the Spirit wants to empower for the purpose of building up and serving the common good. I want to make um, uh, one last point here, um, the terms of practical implications of human bodies and Jesus' bodies. Uh, so again, we share the same body and that have implications for how we treat each other, for sharing power. We are empowered by, for, with spiritual gift to build up the body. And finally, God's humility is our model for how to use power. I want to really emphasize this last implication, this last point. God's humility is kind of, it really is unbelievable, and I don't think we grasp it. We hear a lot about God's power. We don't really hear a lot about God's humility. And maybe you, you picked up some of, uh, of the glimpses of God's humility as I've been talking, but we worship a profoundly humble God. And we see that at creation. <clears throat> God created humankind and the divine image which was giving them power, giving them power to steward the earth. And this is a very different creation story than the ancient Mesopotamian creation story. And the Mesopotamian creation story, the gods created human beings for slave labor. The gods didn't want to work. They wanted to exploit human beings so that the gods could live in leisure. But the ancient Hebrew creation story is not that God created us for slave labor. It's that God created us to empower us and to give us responsibility and stewardship of the earth. God, who is all powerful, actually wants to share power with us. And again, what kind of God shares power? The humble God. 
We see God's humility in the New Testament as well. Jesus says he wants to share a throne. What kind of God, not just gives us responsibility and, and authority to do the earth, but want to share a throne? The humble God. And we have seen God's humility and spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit freely and generously gives power so that we can do the common good together. God elevates us. And if, the God, if, if God, the master of the universe, is willing to share a throne with us, who are we to try to push somebody else off that throne? And if, if God is so willing to share generously and empower us with spiritual gifts, who are we to say who can have a particular kind of spiritual gift? In fact, God is so humble that God wants to share power with us even when we failed, even when we tried to rule this world without God and in opposition to God. I want to read something from Ephesians 2 and, I, and, and to listen to it in, in light of what you've heard today. Ephesians and Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins and which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgress transgression. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus and throned us. When you and I were in opposition to God, God did not give up on us. God said, I'm not giving up on you. I, I want to make you alive. I want to bring you here and to sit with me on my throne so that we can steward the earth together. Ephesians 2 goes on to say that God does this in order that in the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God wants to show kindness to us. Why? Ephesians 2 continues. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And this takes us back to creation. We have been created in the image of God to do good works on this earth, to care for this world. And God comes to us becoming human in Jesus to show us how to be human, to show us that God is not just abandoning us, abandoning us to our own devices, but wants to become one with us so that we can collaborate together for the common good. God's humility is incredible, and it's a model for how we are to use power. We are to imitate God by sharing power, by elevating each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul puts it this way, but God has put the body together, 
giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Selfish ambition, divisiveness, inequality don't make sense in the church, the body of Christ. It's self-sabotage. It's like punching ourselves in the face. It's like shooting ourselves in the foot. We have the same body. Paul even said we can abuse spiritual gifts. I can have the gift of prophecy or hospitality or, or evangelism. But if I have not love, it means nothing. We have the same body. We are empowered by the same spirit so that no one can boast. In closing, all human bodies have been made in the image of God and given power to steward the earth. It's what it means to be human. But what it means to be Christian is how we use that power. Our model is the humility of God, the humility to use power to serve others and elevate others. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That is what it means to be the body of Christ. That is what it means to be the church. Now, Go and live that out. Thank you.